I'm Michael Laurie, and you're listening to the Ulster Rugby Roundup. Hello and welcome to another week's Ulster Rugby Roundup. I did say at the end of last week's podcast that I wouldn't be here this week, but here I am. I'm Gareth Hanna, and joining me once again is the sunburnt Adam McKendry. Hello. Game of Thrones and like she's called the unburnt and you do get sunburned easily. You're not sunburned right now, which is disappointing when I saw you because I had this written before. I, thought, I got, re- you been, you I got really confused on. there because yeah. I will openly admit I got sunburned when I was in America, but I was it's wondering like am I self-fields. still sunburned no, now? No, I'm just okay. striving for like slight Game of Thrones references. And I can't be asked reading your whole title now, so you and I just father of scripts, Jonathan Bradley, that'll do you this week. So I actually Zoned out whenever we started talking about Game of Thrones. Eh? Hello. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> the Dampest Squib game against Leinster is now but a memory, and a very fond one of that from Marcus Ray. We'll discuss his Man of the Match debut display, and then it's on to the Guinness Pro 14 quarterfinal at home to Connacht. There is also a big achievement for really old boys on Saturday, as the All-Ireland club season came to a close. But before all of that, very briefly, Ulster for... Leinster 13 I've done this where I forgot to check a score with you again you got it right no. ah, should have more confidence in himself he's not <laughs> yeah. getting away yeah. you got to take a lesson from me and just deliver everything with confidence <laughs> whether it's I've right or wrong in recent yeah. weeks. Ah, well I'll learn so it was all about Marcus Ray who came off the bench just 16 minutes in and delivered a man on match display I love it. Like it's it's one of those things where you're expecting him to come on in the last twenty minutes and make a few contributions, not come on off the bench in the sixteenth minute and put in a man of the match performance. Um, yeah, I thought he was incredible, and he really set the tone early on because I think his first two contributions were winning a turnover in his own twenty-two, and then carrying the ball, and knocking a guy flat on his back, uh, just down the other end. So. For someone who has had the his time for most of, for the best part of the last two seasons, really, because they were talking about him a bit last season, he never came onto the scene, and then he's had to wait all of this season as well. He really made the most of the time he was given out there, and it's amazing. One of the things I thought after the game was, if we'd seen a performance like this from a Leinster flanker coming on off the bench, we'd have thought there's another one off the Leinster production line, there's another one who's going to make a serious impact for them. And I think one of the most important things now is that Ulster have to look at Ray as potentially someone who could do similar for for them. You know, don't, don't look at this as... First, first and foremost, don't look at this as he's now going to be a superstar because he's made one good cameo appearance. You know, it was a great performance, but, you know, look at this as... He's really made an impact here. So is this someone who could potentially really make a big contribution if we give him more game time? Because that was a great way to introduce yourself to the senior ranks, a great way to introduce yourself to pro rugby. And if he can produce like that, even even just to step down from that on a consistent basis, then there's definitely you know the platform for him to become a serious contributor in this Ulster team. But again... Not getting ahead of myself. Yeah. Um, it's a good start. It's nothing more than that. He's now going to come back for pre-season ahead of the World Cup where you're sure he's going to get plenty of chances in the back row with uh, the potential that Jordy Murphy's going to be away. Um, so I, I think he's certainly at least 
at the end of this season, giving the coaches something to think about over the summer. And if he comes back and he hits the ground running during pre-season, there's absolutely no reason why he can't force his way into their thought process again because that was a really good start from him. Mm-hmm. I, I should say that I, I do know the results of Ulster games. Like I just had a wee moment of doubt. It's like when I'm, even when I'm doing the radio on Ash League games and the score's only like 2-0, before I do my final reports, I always turn to somebody next to me and go, it was 2-0, wasn't it? You just like to make sure of these things, don't you? Like, I think people would be amazed to know how often the question of what was the score is asked in the oh, press absolutely. box. absolutely. Yes. Because yeah. Every single game. Yeah, because you you always have in your head who's winning and by how much, but you don't always have it in your head <laughs> of what the actual you, you score You just is. like to make sure of these things. Yeah. Anyway, Marcus Ray, surprisingly good, would you say, Jonathan? Yeah, like any time I've seen him play before, and I think most people's exposure to him will be the Gloucester friendly and the Uruguay game. They had a really good game against Uruguay. For anyone that was there. In dreadful conditions as well. Monsoon. (laughs) I will not uh, forget that game in a in a heartbeat. That is as as drenched as I think I've ever been. That's a big It was a big call, but you have to remember (laughs) just just how wet it was. I got drenched (laughs) more once before. Ulster played the Scarlets in Europe, I think back in twenty Two thousand eight, it might have even been all, all the way back then, and it was an absolute downpour. And back then, we parked on the Montgomery Road and got the wee park and ride bus back. And for some reason, it wasn't running that night, so we had to walk all the way from Ravenhill no, to don't. the Montgomery Road in absolute downpour. And back then, whenever I was only about ten or eleven years old, I, that was the worst thing I've ever done. Like Harlequins, Harlequins, or sorry, Harlequins at home. Was the worst weather there's ever been at Ravenhill? Oh, well, the wee park and ride bus but was I, working. But right. I don't think it was as wet as, as it was for the as this wettest rugby game you've ever been at is. I don't think this is how Marcus Ray is expecting this discussion to go if he's <laughs> tuning in to hear us like waxing lyrical about his performance. If I could just round out my top three, Donna Gadea against <laughs> Corey in. In Marcus like, and tw- like twenty eleven or twenty twelve was horrendous. It was so wet that my notebook fell apart. But Milner Entry, who was our journalist, me, well, me and Gareth's journalism tutor, the first lesson that he taught us in journalism school was always bring a pencil because you can't use a pen in the rain. And I brought a pencil. so I mean, it's, it's still no use if you know falling apart. Chairman of Corey and Rugby Club, yeah, indeed. Just to yeah. bring it back to rugby. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Marcus Rehaven, yes. Um, what was so good about, about his performance on Saturday? He just got stuck in, like he wasn't phased by the occasion and I think that's really important because we've seen it before, especially with back rowers, ironically enough, sometimes you only get one chance and then you might never be seen again, mm. you know. Um, <coughs> Lorcan Dye. Yeah, like Lor- Lorcan Dye played once, Caleb Montgomery played once, um, Halls played once, yeah. you know, you have to make an impression when you get the chance and... Like he came up afterwards to the media and was knackered. Like so, he and I think by all accounts his TV interview was the same. Like he gave everything <laughs> into that uh, sixty-five minutes. Um, it was a good story. Like whenever he came up, he seems like a lovely fella. Like and he was just waxing lyrical about how great it was to play alongside his brother, which was a good story. Which is exactly what you need from a game that 
didn't have anything riding on it because it was something good to ride like. Just, just on that point, he was shattered. I was watching the game back um, uh, uh, last night, actually, and just before he scored, he scored his try, you can see him, he's literally wandering around, like absolutely gassed, and then he spots that small gap, and all of a sudden he gains this massive burst of energy, picks up the ball and races through. <laughs> like for, for the good 30 seconds beforehand, he's wandering around as if he couldn't do anything more, and all of a sudden he's right in there sprinting through. But it's that kind of thing that you want to see. You know, you mm-hmm. want to see guys like that who, whenever they've got absolutely nothing left to give, they see an opportunity to make an impact like that, and all of a sudden they get that second wind and they go for it. I mean, it's just one of those things that, you know, Ulster fans have been crying out for, especially in the back row where we haven't seen anyone introduced from the academy this year. Um now to actually see someone who has come in, has been named in the team, and has actually made a very positive impact in a game. It's what Ulster have been trying to do all season in terms of the academy and bringing players through. This is another great example of where Ulster can really use the academy to promote the depth within the senior squad. Nice that he gave his uh, man on match medal to his dad as well. Yeah, family affair. Family affair, it was. Let's hear a little bit of what Marcus had to say then in that press conference after the game. Safe to say, it's a dream come true. Um, First and foremost, just to get on the pitch with Matthew. Um, Just make the parents proud, basically, you know, and that's, you know, that's what this week was about for me. You know, the other stuff's just not a bonus for me. You know, it means I have to keep my head down and, you know, show what I can do in training and, you know, this preseason's a big one for me, you know, especially with the World Cup year. Um, if I can get a few more games under my belt and start to push boys. He only had to see me in the last ten minutes to to really understand how you know how how um how do they age, you know, I put my body, you know, and that was you know, it's between the club game and the pro game, you know, there's such a you know, the club game there's not that long until you get a break and then the pro game you're just running and running, especially when we were camped down the twenty two and you know, eventually we got over, and that was just, and it was just nice to get break, break from playing and getting up and back into the the, the line. I think it was their seven folded around and took my opportunity, and uh, we'd done stuff like that, you know, that type of scenario stuff where you know we're we're grappling for the ball, you know, try to get over the line with with Dan Soper into the in the gym, like, and you you don't really understand, you know, when you do it, but when you're there, you know, you're, you're thankful you've done it and you're thankful for coaches like him, to, you know, to bring in that stuff, you know, however small it may be at the time, you know, into the gym and, you know, that's, that's what got us over the line, you know, in the end. Um, to be honest, the whole, you know, situation is, you know, it's pretty big at the minute and I'm just a country boy from Glaryford and, you know, that's what I'll ever be like. One of the other points of note then from the game, Fergus McFadden. Martin Malseed asks, was the headbutt meriting of a red card? <laughs> it all went a bit Street Fighter for a while. It was strange. Um, not really sure what that was about. Um, spoken to a few people today. are like, yeah, Fergus McFadden is a really nice guy. But that was insane. Yeah. And it was. It, it was a very strong reaction to just being held yeah. on to by another player you know that well, for, well for a cu- say that but Gordon Darcy wouldn't agree <laughs> yeah. he says I knew you were going to bring he this tweeted, up hope Sean's okay after grabbing Ferg and trying to milk a card out of it FYI for your information you can't grab players off the ball either and then a wee monkey face holding his eyes look Sh- Sean Reedy isn't 
completely innocent in all this. He is holding on to Fergus McFadden, but at the same time, absolutely <laughs> nothing justifies Fergus McFadden turning around and headbutting him. Like. <laughs> yeah, like it, it's a it's a physical contact sport where you're being held onto by another player. Okay, he's maybe not supposed to be doing that, but you don't turn around and stick your head into his head like that. That's just, that's just the first rule of rugby. Don't retaliate like that. I mean, he, he headbutts him. It's it's a red card. Like Gordon Darcy's take on this is so wild that I almost have to respect it. It's one of those <laughs> things where, like, if I was to take like a different route with my career, like I would just become a columnist who would insane things <laughs> to get reactions. And I don't like I don't think that's what Darcy's doing, trying to get a reaction. But sometimes I do like think about what my career would be like. Because we've seen it with a, a fair bit of rugby journalism over the last few weeks has just been clearly insane takes to get reactions, <laughs> and there's definitely there's definitely something to be said for it. I think you mm. should just sneak one in one day over the next few weeks and see if our listeners can just, guess. Yeah, just say <laughs> something completely outrageous that I don't even agree with, just to see how people react. But Maybe it did bring up Stephen Nolan get a wee pitch again. Probably, yeah, that, that's probably that's how. All yeah, essentially, essentially, it's name recognition at this stage. Um, it did bring about one of my favourite things on Twitter, which is when Stuart McCluskey just responds to tweets with emojis. <laughs> like, it doesn't happen every so often. Or sorry, it doesn't happen very often. But every once in a while, you'll just see McCluskey come out with like, some kind of sarcastic emoji, yeah. and that be it. Yeah. I think if I were that him, case, if yeah. I was him, it would be all I would ever do on Twitter. Just like <laughs> police social media, just through yeah, heavy use of emojis. Use of emojis. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Calvin then asks, uh, given how well Ian Nagel played, can we assume that his contract talks are still up in the air? Obviously, we had said last week, I can't remember what exactly was said in the podcast last week, but that he's potentially moving to uh, foreign shores. This was Johnny's bombshell. Yes, your bombshell, as it was referenced in a question later on the podcast. Stay tuned for that. <laughs> um, yeah, they're, they're not up there as well. As far as I'm concerned, I think he's going to be going to Italy next year now he's, he's only on loan obviously so it's not really um, yeah he's still a Leinster player yeah strictly speaking yeah <laughs> yeah so, so basically that good performance hasn't changed anything no uh, I, I did think he played very well he was definitely in the running I thought for man of the mm. match I thought him Cave um, Ray obviously I thought P. Nelson had a pretty good game um, probably forgetting somebody but um, no I thought Diego Sorry, excuse me. I thought Neil played really, really well. But, yeah, I don't think he's going to be here next year. This is one of those ones where he's playing against his parent club, you know. It's, mm. it's kind of like, I want to make an impression. So yeah, especially especially given he didn't think he was going to be able to play in yeah. the game. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there probably, were questions about that when the team came out, but it was just an agreement between the clubs, wasn't it? Yeah, but it was, it was a case of um, Leinster sort of acknowledged that it was a nothing game for yeah. both sides, so there was no point imposing the ban on him from playing against his uh, against uh, his parent club so mm. yeah uh, sorry it was just that the use of parent club was was good because well I can't think of what, what other no no no, no it was because there were a few people over the weekend saying playing against his native club which obviously they're not because he's actually from Cork mm. yeah so yeah uh, it, was, it just seemed very careful use of parent club which I appreciated it wasn't I wasn't <laughs> looking at you because you were wrong <laughs> Oh, I thought I thought you were looking at me because I was using it too much. And no. I, was, I was trying to think of another way to no. say parent club without <laughs> saying parent club. Not, not enough of anything. Uh, Darren Cave, we should mention, captaining Ulster on potentially his uh, last home performance. Nice. 
I don't know whether I just have talked myself into this because I want to believe it, but I think he'll play this week. Haha, I knew you were going to do this. This bridges us on nicely <laughs> to Ulster against Connacht to see the way I did that. You didn't even know what it was doing. Have I become that predictable? Yes, 100%. <laughs> Potentially. I, I did play that. Whenever, whenever you opened your mouth and just held it there for a second, I was like, <laughs> He's going to talk about this week's game. Yeah, I like, I've done it. I've done probably it. Play. I mean, the, the likelihood is he will let, be let involved. Me do my, let me do my official oh, bridge. Fine. So, of course, Ulster play Connacht at home on... I've built myself up now and I can't remember when it's the match is. Saturday. Saturday. I don't really care. Yeah. 535. So, Ulster play Connacht at 535 on Saturday in the Guinness Pro 14 quarterfinal when Jonathan thinks Darren Keeve may feature in what will definitely be his last home game of the season. Adam, do you think he will play? I think it'd be surprising if he wasn't at least on the bench, um, if not starting. But that is one of those things where whenever you look at Ulster's back line, you're able to sort of move guys about a bit. So it allows you that flexibility to put like Cave on the bench, even though he can only play centre or uh, or you just yeah, you can just move guys about and you're able to have that flexibility. Um, so, yeah, I'd be surprised if he didn't play, especially given how important he's been to this team recently, how good he can be, um, certainly as a defensive organiser against what will be a very potent uh, centre combination of Tom Farrell and Bundyaki. So that that's always something that you have to bear in mind, how good uh, Cave is at just being aware of what opposition opposition centres are going to do, especially whenever you've got Aki, who works as both a playmaker and a physical presence, um, just that experience in the centre is, is invaluable, really. Stephen McCormick asks, who do you think should partner Big Stuart McCluskey? So, do you think it will be Darren from the start? No, I think it'll be Luke Marshall. But I think, for me, the only reason that you wouldn't have... Darren in the 23 is if you wanted to have a specialist 10 on the bench but I've spoken before about how much or that I like Johnny McPhillips as a player and I think that he didn't get as many minutes as he deserves this season but for me on the back of his performance on Saturday there was so much there looked to be so much rust there understandably so but you could the way that he played on Saturday, you couldn't have him in the twenty three. I wouldn't think ahead of Cooney as a possible backup ten or Larry as a backup ten mm-hmm. who will start. But their versatility allows you to have Cave on the bench, even though he can only cover centre. See, the, this is interesting though. Whenever you touch on Larry as a backup ten at the weekend, so whenever annoying. at the weekend, whenever McPhillips came off. It wasn't Larry who moved into 10. It was Nelson. Yeah, like that was the perfect game, I thought, to give Larry a rattle. Exactly. Of 10. That was the. If, if you're ever going to give Michael Lowry a run mm-hmm. of 10 against a top quality opposition, that was it. Nothing riding on the game in a tight game where you can really let him, let him loose and say, you know, <laughs> there's nothing riding on this game whatsoever. So go out and show us what you can do. They decided not to do it. So whenever you're whenever you're talking about Lowry as a backup ten, Ulster haven't entrusted him as a ten in any game this season besides Ospreys away, I believe. I think he played in the whatever it was the 156-3 defeat at Munster. <laughs> oh, sorry, yes. And that was but like the, in the last twenty minutes. Yeah, so so they haven't actually entrusted him with playing at ten in 
any games of real magnitude this season. So I'm not sure they would be so willing to throw him in there mm-hmm. against Connacht mm-hmm. at any point, unless they really had to. Do we know anything about why that was last week? No, um, Dan didn't do post-match on okay. Saturday. Um, so it could, it could be a case where you see Nelson on the bench mm-hmm. as someone who can cover mm-hmm. 10 and any of the back three positions. Yeah. Speaking of that back three, then Ian Frizzell asks, is it going to be Lowry at fullback with Balakun and Stockdale on the wings, or Stockdale at fullback with Balakun and Rob Little coming back in? Stockdale needs to be Little? fit first. Well, that's 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 very true. What's the latest on Stockdale's injury? He says that he's progressing quicker than originally hoped, so he's ahead of schedule. No, there wasn't really any schedule put out there, so <laughs> so I'm, I'm sure he got one, but we didn't. So it's hard to know then, really. Yeah, um, I think look, he's from what I understand, he's not ruled out of this week. He still has to prove his fitness, but if he, if I had to put um, a theoretical fiver on one of him and Best playing, it would certainly be Best. Looks mm-hmm. the more likely mm-hmm. to play at the minute. Yeah, if Stockdale's out, then that makes that selection dilemma pretty easy. Then really. Well, in that case, you're looking at Lowry, Little and Balakun yeah. as your back three. Yeah, so time time will tell on that one. Um, Rory Best, then, you mentioned it. We, we had found out just after last week's podcast that uh, he is, well, Ulster are very hopeful that he is going to play this week. And we've heard nothing since to lead us to, to doubt that, have we? I think reading between the lines, they're, if they were hopeful last week, they're confident this mm-hmm. week. Yeah, and he's up for media tomorrow, so that also... Well, he's scheduled to be up for media tomorrow. Well, yeah, so f- fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if he does media and doesn't play, that'd be a real hames for us. Who else is going to be playing this weekend in the pack? If we take the pack from the quarterfinal defeat as a base to work from, will we see any changes from O'Sullivan, Best, all being well? Uh, Murr, Henderson, Treadwell, Timoney, Murphy, could see you. Murr's out injured, so who comes in? Well, it'll be Kane or O'Toole. Ulster are sort of in this strange position at the minute where they're running low on tight heads, having lost tight heads throughout the season. Um, so Rodney, have you scored a try at the weekend? I just think it's a good time to throw that in. A couple of weeks ago, Rodney went like 80 minutes. I can't remember who he was against. Some game Newcastle were on TV. Was it Leicester? I, I think yeah, New, we're all, all four props play yeah. 80 minutes. Wild scenes in that game. That is insane. <laughs> Big Rob needed running around the whole time. It was good. He must have been promised several KFCs. Or, or no, that's not well, nice. Anyway. It's not inaccurate. <laughs> still not nice. I'd like, I'd like to distance myself from any recent comments. <laughs> anyway. Um, I, that'll like be the only change then in that pack. Yeah, I think so. Um, Sean O'Dell's gone through the old uh, return to play protocols this week. Um, so, I guess that would certainly give Timoney the edge in that battle. Um, if Rudy passes through them, I think you've got him on the bench. You've got Alan O'Connor on the bench. Whichever one of O'Toole and Keane doesn't start. Um, it's, a, it's a tough one to judge between O'Toole and Keane because... Um, as Adam points out, O'Toole hasn't started a game in a long time. Uh, the scrum went better when he was on on Saturday, but you could equally say that the scrum went better when Jack McGrath wasn't on for Leinster. Mm-hmm. You could say that Kane got the nod to start on Saturday, but you could also say that 
everybody else who got the nod to start on Saturday probably isn't playing so quite what it means hmm. I don't know also D- Dan McFarlane must have been sitting there absolutely hating the fact that the scrum was being destroyed on Saturday but also loving that the scrum was being destroyed on Saturday because it's a nice look ahead to next season whenever Jack McGrath's in the fold. <laughs> yeah, so, that's very true. So, Speaking um, of the scrum, Peter Lockhart wants to know how worried are you about Ulster scrum this weekend without Marty Murray? Massively. It's a great yeah. question because the Connacht game in October was the last game pre-Marty Moore's Ulster debut and they got shoved all over the place. Now, even the game down in Galway, they got shoved all over the place. Eric O'Sullivan had by far his worst game in the Ulster shirt this year. Eric O'Sullivan actually mentioned that last week. Like, that Connacht game in Galway has been a real sort of uh, bump in the road for him. Um, Dennis Buckley, in the October game, gave Ulster all sorts of trouble. Now, apparently after that game... Um, there was a sort of team meeting where everybody, like, I sorry, all of the scrum took a huge amount of responsibility for it. You know, it wasn't a case of we're all going to blame this on Tom O'Toole. Um, there was an awful lot of talk about system deficiencies and the like. So, an awful lot of the more experienced players took a good brunt of the blame off O'Toole. But you just wonder, with that individual matchup of Buckley and O'Toole having been what we saw in October, whether you go Kane to go up against Buckley just for a different look, or whether you trust the senior players having said that there were things that they all could have done better that night. But, to get back to the original question, before Marty Murray made his Ulster debut, the scrum had been a real mess. Now, you obviously have a very different Eric O'Sullivan than you had in October. Roy Bess was making his first appearance since probably the May beforehand because he'd had that hamstring injury over the summer. So an awful lot has changed, but it is just whether the scrum performance in that October game gives you pause for thought and maybe edges you towards um, Kane over O'Toole maybe for something different. But to be honest, as soon as the Marty Murray injury was confirmed and it was confirmed against... and the quarterfinals confirmed as being against Connacht that did make me think that's a much more difficult game now mm-hmm. than it would have been before Marty Murray's injury but you still expect Ulster to win I do expect Ulster to win not as confident as Adam because I haven't booked my flights to Glasgow <laughs> yet <laughs> I'm working on a on a more limited budget than you so I have to get things as cheap as they come <laughs> you make, you make it seem like I have lots of money rather than the fact that just none of it's my money. So. <laughs> okay, well, that's. I think that's a smart buy. Like, surely Ulster are like, going to win this game, aren't they? You, you do have to guard against complacency because obviously Comet did win the last time they played in Belfast, and while I'm not expecting uh, it to be 15 v 14 for most of the game. Yeah, you you would expect Ulster to win this. I mean, you look at the two sides in terms of how the season has gone as a whole. Ulster have been more consistent throughout the season. Ulster have a stronger first 15. I mean, there's never been any questions over how strong Ulster's first 15 is. We've seen them go toe-to-toe with Leinster. We've seen them beat Racing. We've seen them beat the Scarlets twice at full strength. So... 
there's no questions about Ulster's first 15 and they're only going to be down one or two starters um, if you're looking at Murr and Stockdale who potentially might even play so Ludic Allison I suppose just to I was thinking Allison, but so uh, whenever you put everything together, I think Ulster just have too much for Connacht. But at the same time, you can't go into this game, and I'm not saying Ulster will. I don't think they will this week, but they cannot go into this thinking that just because they're at home, just because they're pretty close to full strength, that they're going to win this game. Connacht are going to make it really tough. They've had two tough scrummaging games against them as we've already mentioned Connacht whenever they were uh, in Belfast last time got their mall going against Ulster like no other team has done this year Uh, and if they can do that again then that's a very potent weapon that Ulster haven't faced from any team so far Mm -hmm. this year apart from Connacht so there are tangibles there that Connacht can use to their advantage and I think Connacht will come up knowing that you know they're probably underdogs for this game, and therefore they can really have a go at it. But again, Ulster should win this. They've got a better pack, they've got a better backline, and they've got the home advantage. I, I do just think everything leans in Ulster's favour, provided they don't take their eye off the ball. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if not, if there's any content-based media outlets listening... Adam will be available for yeah, a quarterfinal coverage. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Any Ulster fans that do want to follow uh, Adam Tlaid in both flights before the game do so at their own risk. Just, we should probably just put that out there. <laughs> Matt, everything I've booked is refundable. It's all right. <laughs> yeah, there you are. Oh, so you're not really taking a punt on Ulster then? Well, it was refundable whatever I booked it. It wasn't like I went uh-huh. for the refundable option. Like I, I bet it would have been cheaper had you went non-refundable. Absolutely. Nope. Absolutely. Not, not, nope. not, put, not putting that's your money right. where your mouth is. Nope. I fully believe Ulster will win this. It's, like, the, it's, the old, just not yeah. enough to pay the non-refundable It's, it's the old booking.com option where the non-refundable <laughs> one's like 20 quid cheaper and has <laughs> breakfast, but he's not gone for that. I don't need breakfast. I'm flying out at <laughs> seven o'clock the next morning. I will have breakfast in my own house. Thank you very much. <laughs> Based on results so far this season, is it a success regardless of victory this weekend? That's Christian Ross's question. This is a good question, right? Because yes, it is, but yeah. no, it's not. So it is been a very good season relative to pre-season expectations. Yeah, if you listen to one of our podcasts from pre-season, <laughs> I bet you we were saying, like I can't remember, but I bet you we were saying if Ulster get any knockout rugby, it's been a great season. Well, the, the, I, the, I predicted that they'd finish fourth in the conference and knock it out of their pool. Yeah, so it's been a great Europe. season. Even so, if they get chinned this weekend. And like we've seen Michael Laurie, we've seen Erica Sullivan, we've seen Rob Balakin, um, mm. Angus Kernahan, Marcus Ray, probably some more players, James Hume, other players that I'm probably forgetting, all debut so to Marcus Ray. did you say Marcus I think Ray? I said Marcus, he said Marcus, Marcus Ray. Um, to have all those guys coming through replacing so many experienced players to have it seem like after a couple of missteps that you've got the right head coach in charge to be back in the knockout stages of Europe within what, 10 minutes and 4 points of being in the semi-finals of Europe it's been a great season. 
But it would end on a really sour note if you lose a home quarterfinal. Definitely it would. It would, cha- it would I think, change the complexion of the season. Even though it shouldn't, mm-hmm. it would. And I think that's why it's a really good question. And I think that's why Ulster really do need to win this weekend. Because if you lose in Glasgow, I, I think you can stomach it and you can sit back and reflect and say this has been year one of what is hopefully a three to five year project to recover from the years before. But I just think it could be a real knock if you if you end it by losing. And I don't mean this disrespectfully because like, I love Connacht, but I think because it's Connacht, if you were to lose them three mm-hmm. times in a season, like you could theoretically be back in that position that we were in like when we started doing this podcast of having weekly debates about who was the fourth province, you know? <laughs> At the start of the season, I think I think we all agreed that getting back into Europe for next season was the priority, regardless of what happened in Europe and regardless of how they got back into Europe, just get back into Europe. But you're now sitting here where Ulster have undoubtedly created, even away from the results, Ulster have undoubtedly created more squad depth. They've played nine academy players this year, and six of them have graduated to senior deals. Now, I'm counting Tom O'Toole and Angus Curtis in that, who graduated after, I think, the first game. Mm-hmm. So, I counted them and got ten, so one of us has gone wrong here. doesn't matter. I've, I've probably missed someone then, but... So somebody, I think we all know it's more likely that I miscounted. <laughs> but thanks for being so understanding there. But but you know you're seeing academy progression. We have tangible proof that Dan McFarland is doing things right as head coach, which was one of the big unknowns coming into the season, mm-hmm. where you have a rookie head coach, um, you know who has done everything as an assistant coach, but you're not sure how he'll progress to actually being a head coach, but he's pushed all those doubts away and has proven that what he's doing is taking Ulster in the right direction. Then you add in the actual results and, you know, reaching a European quarterfinal was well beyond expectations. Finishing second in that conference was well beyond expectations. Hosting a quarterfinal in the Pro 14, well beyond expectations and potentially you know, having a great chance of being in a semi-final of the Pro 14, well beyond expectations. They've exceeded everything that people have set in front of them. I don't think you'll find too many people who expected them to be in the position they are now. Then you add in the fact that performances on the pitch have been good. You add in the fact that the mall has become a weapon. The scrum has really solidified it with Murr anchoring it at tight head and O'Sullivan being one of the finds in rugby this season. Forget finds in Ulster. He has been one of the finds in rugby this season to be making 80-minute performances in his first year in the senior ranks is unbelievable. If Ulster could have knew they were going to get that from him this season, they would have laughed their heads off because that's just an incredible achievement for him. So whenever you put all, sorry, whenever you put all that together, there's no way you can call this a bad season for Ulster. There's you cannot call this anything but a really good season for Ulster. I completely agree with Johnny. If they lose to Connacht this week, it puts a massive sour taste and a massive asterisk on this season. 
because it's a horrible way to end your year. If you lose at home, you lose to an interprovincial rival, especially when you've put yourself in a wonderful position to go into the semi-finals of the Pro 14, and especially after everything that's happened in the preceding weeks, months, leading up to this point. It would be a horrible way to end the season. But, but at, at, at the same time, like look at the season as a whole. Take this one week and don't look at it in isolation. Look at the season as a whole. This has been a really good season for Ulster. In terms of, as Johnny says, the three to five year project, in terms of how season one has gone, I think it hasn't missed out on ticking any boxes. Mm-hmm. I think the, the only thing you could add to this season would be to finish with silverware and that was never going to be part of the of the grand scheme of things silverware was never on the table in terms of season one that's season three at the earliest possibly even later on than that but as far as what Ulster have done in adding squad depth and improving on-field performances and improving individual parts of the on-field product and in terms of what they've done to restore the off-field product as well. I think Ulster Rugby in general have had a very good season, Mm -hmm. regardless of what happens this week. So if there is a sour taste, surely that would and should be forgotten very quickly. Well, I mean, I would add Marcel Katsia proving his fitness for an entire year. Mm. I would add Will Addison turning out to be class um, into that bargain and the signings of well primarily the signing of Jack McGrath as all more reasons for this to be seen as a positive however many months we're looking at seven but if they were to lose to Connacht and you wanted to play devil's advocate you could say that an awful lot of those things in terms of results and in the table are the product of Scarlet's and Leicester being guff if you wanted to Mark, now come on. I'm just saying if you want to say, I'm not saying I do you want to. This could be We're going to get abused for being negative again because of this. <sighs> well, you just you do. Your, this, this could be my outlandish take for next oh, week. Yeah. <laughs> going <laughs> to write a comment, please. Ulster's so season <laughs> is all down to the fact that like, Leicester if, and Scarlet's were terrible. If Scar- Ulster's progress is a myth. Yeah. Ulster if have done nothing not. right this season. Leicester and Scarlet's <laughs> did it all for them. I wonder is that the kind of thing the players would have forgotten about by pre-season mm-hmm. Or would I come in and just be like, <laughs> getting the stink out from everybody? Thank you. <laughs> it, look, it, Including me. In, in playing devil's advocate. That's the kind of thing McCluskey would like yeah. give the wee eyes emoji <laughs> when I went online. Maybe that's the only reason why you write it. Yeah. That's, that's now your life's goal to get Stuart McCluskey to respond to one of your pieces with just emojis. I, I actually, I voted for Stuart McCluskey as player of the year. Who did you vote for? I wasn't invited to vote. It was in the WhatsApp group. Yeah, it was. I saw oh, it before. Was it? I just yeah, decided so I wasn't qualified to vote. <laughs> you should have voted. Oh, just, okay. You should have voted. Who was your favourite? Johnny McPhillips? No, Robert Ballacrine. Robert Ballacrine. <laughs> should have voted for him. To be fair, it wouldn't have been the most outlandish thing in the world. Like, I mean, it wouldn't have been accurate, but like for a novelty vote, if you're going to vote like just for the sake of voting, you need to choose somebody ridiculous. Like. I think like the first two years that I voted, the person that I voted for did not win. And then last year, obviously, everybody voted for Cooney, so it was yeah. like... It was a no-brainer. Yeah. So. Do you think Hank's going to win at this? Well, I've like I've probably put this. I've I've likely put the Scott on Stuart McCluskey. So. Yeah, probably. Sorry, Stuart. <clears throat> you can give him the wee eyes on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
miscellaneous listening. Well, just to punctuate this chat about Ulster Comet predictions. One word, please. One word. We need to move on. Ulster. Good job. Ulster as well. Clean sheet. Uh, Peter Lockhart again. Um, he's all over the podcast this week. This is a bonus Peter Lockhart question. Oh, clean sweep, man. Who's enough flick? <laughs> nobody, nobody would have questioned that. Like, not one person. Is Adam McBurney Rory Bess ideal long-term replacement? For me, yes. Good. Yeah. Um, okay, let's go. Martin okay. McGill. All right. There we, there we go. Sorry, I thought we were still being brief. Now I think like. Well, not that. We're not be that brief on this, but still quite brief. I said, I think two weeks ago or last week that um, I think. If there is a positive to Rory Best retiring, which there isn't, but um, if you want to put a positive spin on it, you need to get Adam McBurney, John Andre minutes hmm. um, behind Rob Herring. And I think we'll see Adam McBurney play a lot more. I think Adam McBurney's a really good player. And hopefully he'll come along with the Pro 14 game time because we've already seen him like get better throughout the exposure that he's had already. You know, going back to whenever he started the... Um, under 20s level. Mm. You don't really envy anybody coming in to try and replace Rory Best, do you? Like? I think in a way, like it's very different from, say, John Cooney having to replace Ryan Pienaar. And obviously that worked out successfully. And three cheers for David and Sephora. <laughs> <laughs> Are you begrudging cheers? Anyway. I think we just find the title of this week's podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh my word, yes. Yeah, it's very different for Ulster because there's three hookers, I think, next season are all going to be in-house. So they're all already starting with credit in the bank, as funny as it is to think back to the point when John Cooney was coming up here and fans were like, who's this guy? He's not Ruan. <laughs> yeah. And now he's literally the most popular man in Belfast. Absolutely. Yeah, probably, yeah. Martin McGowan asks, with your bombshell last week about Ian Nagel, there it is, guys, promised it, um, Ian Nagel moving to Italy, should we expect to see some more of the academy second rows get some game time next season? I'm not sure who he's referring to. I mean, <laughs> Matty Dalton has been given chances. He's now away to Australia to try and get game time over there during the summer. Um, Nisifor set that up as well. Nisifor did set up <laughs> that up as well. Four cheers for <laughs> Um, and Jack Regan just hasn't really gotten the chances. I mean, he 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 was on the bench for the European playoff last year, but he's just been dogged by injuries and has never uh, really gotten a look in because of that. And it's unfortunate, but you know you have to make your chances count, and he he hasn't been getting any for obvious reasons. So. It's just one of those ones where, yeah, you want some guys to step up, but whenever you look at who Ulster have next season, you're going to have Carter, um, you're going to have Treadwell and O'Connor commanding most of the minutes. Connor McMenamin's coming up uh, through the underage systems and is supposedly quite a good prospect. So I think you're going to see someone having to step up into that you know, that sort of fourth role in case there are injuries. Oh, well, Alan O'Connor's brother's coming up. There we go. Let's see. Can that be? That can be our bombshell. Yeah. There's our bombshell. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's happening. Say more things about that. He's Alan O'Connor's brother. So presumably he's from Scaries as well. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been playing for Lansdowne. Right. Um... He's going to be joining the setup in some capacity next season, and he's a second row. 
Do you know his name? No. Alan's brother? Probably just gets called Alan's brother, I'd say. I do know his name. Let's call him Alan's brother, it's fine. I was going to say David. Let's go David then. Yeah. Um, Educated guess, David. Yeah, so that, that that can be that can be this week's bombshell. It's not really a bombshell. Yeah, yeah. I like that one. Do you know what, like what sort of age is he? When can we ex- could we expect him to come into first team potentially next season, or is it too early? Like, I think he's one of those players that you know you might see get some pro fourteen minutes. He ha- he has trained with Ulster before, mm-hmm. and then went back down to play all Ireland league. So they've obviously seen something in him that they like. Yeah. Um, I'm assuming that's official. I don't know. Well, it is now. He's called Dave, according to the Lansdowne, and he weighs 111 kilograms. He's six foot four. Second row slash back row. Favorite LFC player. I think that means Lansdowne. Rather than Liverpool. Yeah, Oshin <laughs> Darling. He don't ever Liverpool. It must be. Well, Oshin Darling is playing for uh, Leinster at the weekend. He likes Pepsi Max. He's a sales account manager. Not anymore, presumably. His inspirational quote is, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Michael Jordan. There's a, there you go. Well, well, now we know more than we could ever have dreamt that we would know about Alan O'Connor's brother over the course of this podcast. What more do people want? <laughs> this is the thing. Beats me. Well, <laughs> drop, can, drop an exclusive. <laughs> exclusive <laughs> just the in the middle of a podcast. Need to stop doing it. Yeah, well, I enjoyed it. Will Caleb Montgomery going to Worcester be another player we will look back on like Witten or Farrell and wish they were still with us in the future? Asks Dave Kenning. Well, the big, the big difference between Witten and Farrell and Montgomery is Witten and Farrell were fairly uh, fairly entrenched in the Ulster senior setup before they left. You know, they were regular... Uh, they made regular appearances and... They were fairly well thought of within the setup. Now, Caleb Montgomery was well thought of, but he never made any significant impact in the squad. I think we were saying there he made one appearance, and now he's off to Worcester. So, in terms of equating Montgomery with Witten and Farrell, um, it is a little bit wrong because they're not quite at the same level. Um, he, he could go over to Worcester and he could really find his feet there and put in some great performances and become a fairly good contributor for them. But I, I'm not going to say, or I don't think he'll ever be the same sort of level as Witten and Farrell. Well, like uh, Witten, as, as you point out, like Witten was an Irish international before he left. I completely forgot about that. Like, <laughs> And Chris Farrell... Um, I don't know whether there's a, a fair amount of sort of revisionist history with Chris Farrell, but I do think, like, one, you have to take the Stuart Holding situation into account with Chris Farrell, and not even, like, the last 18 months of Stuart Holding, but Stuart Holding having the two ACL injuries. Like, before that, Stu was probably seen as the Ireland 12 of the future. Yeah. You know, not the Ulster 12 of the future, the yeah. Ireland 12 of the future. And the Chris Farrell, personally, I think that came back from Grenoble is vastly superior to the Chris Farrell mm-hmm. that left Ulster because he worked hard to develop his passing game to the point where he came back as somebody who, yes, is very physical, but can also play as a distribution 
distributing 13. So he got massively, massively better. And and I think, you know, Ulster probably take a bit of flack for the fact that he's, you know, you don't have too many Ulster-born Irish internationals. He is one of the players from Munster. Ulster get a bit of flack for that. But yeah. they had a lot of centres at the time. And Chris Farrell has got an awful lot better away from Ulster. Caleb Montgomery might do that. I think Dogie was probably fairly involved in bringing him back from France in the first place. So it's no surprise to see him at Worcester. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we've mentioned it there already. Marcus Ray. I really like Jordan Levy. Um, Allison is meant to be the real deal. I haven't seen enough of him myself, probably to judge. Um, David McCann's coming through the underage setup and is now. He captained the Ireland under 19s the other week, which is generally a good indicator that you're mm-hmm. on a track to. The pro ranks. Yeah, so yeah. there are sort of an awful lot of back rows there um, coming through. As much as we say that we haven't seen them yet, where we have seen players in every other position apart from Locke, I suppose, um, <coughs> as well. But um, yeah, like you don't know. You might yeah. t- you might turn out to be absolutely brilliant for them, but mm. he may have stayed. Well, hopefully, at, hopefully, hopefully exactly. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, but he may have stayed at Ulster and not become the player that he'll be at Worcester for getting a few more opportunities. You don't know. Chris Kearney says he's just curious that if a high tackle is committed, is it counted as a tackle in the player's statistics after the game, even though it was illegal? Which is really random, but also really interesting. Great question. <laughs> the kind, I of, love the kind of questions that we appreciate. Yeah. It's it's not it's not going to beat Michael Lowry, Marcel Katsia, Duck Donkey's sizes for the question of the year. Oh, oh so, yeah, someone give great. us another question like that, please. I love that question because so much. the winner might get a signed ball by Scott Van der Merwe. Yes. It's been a little bit a special yes. occasion. For, oh, man, right. We're, we're hosting, we're hosting a, our best question of the year. Yeah, we're hosting a listener question special in a few weeks and whoever sends in the best listener yeah. question will win a signed rugby ball by Shock Van der Merwe. And Marcel could see it. And Marcel could see it, but that's I besides the point. Yeah, primarily. We, we can wash that off if you want. Because you can get a side ball. Marcel will sign a ball anytime. Yeah. Skulk's gone. So yeah. this is literally your only chance. You said Skulk's gone like he's dead. No. That's <laughs> your point. He's not. He's alive and well. Just not playing for Ulster anymore. Yeah. The, the question then? Hi, Jago. Yeah, I think it counts. It probably does count if the ref plays advantage but wouldn't count if a penalty is given because then it would count as the player being whistled there but you don't actually know I don't know I've never thought about it before we thought you'd have looked it up I've only got like 4% battery and I have to walk home so I'm going to have to walk home without a podcast Sorry, I only got halfway, halfway through Turn Beats podcast this morning before my headphones died now my phone's dying it's a whole thing for the I mean, second time I'm having to apologise to our listeners this week on behalf of the podcast well, it's one of those things where if you're penal, as Johnny says, if you're penalised immediately for a high tackle, then the the play is counted as a penalty, not as a tackle. If if you get an advantage, you know you, you still have to log plays after that, so the play itself is probably recorded as a tackle. Yeah. It it yeah. might it might be recorded as a penalty, and then everything after that is recorded as a tackle, but. So, no, I don't think so because I think yeah, I don't. you know, no, yeah, no, no penalty count is actually a penalty that you take. Like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that would be my take. We'll ask a referee. I'll find out. Actually, no, because we wouldn't need to ask a referee. We need to find like the stats guys. The stats guys. Yeah. Hmm. 
But let's try and do that. John Steenson says he has just finished your book. I assume it means you, because me and Adam haven't written any books. Wow. Uh, he don't know what I get up to. He's <laughs> <time. laughs> he he yeah. down to know when the second one's coming out. He says, I'm hoping for perhaps the decade after the 99 win. You set it up beautifully in the final chapters of your book. That's very nice to hear. Thank you very much. Um, That's also a spoiler for the final chapter. <laughs> the, 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 the fact <laughs> that the final chapter happens after they win the year they got, but that thing counts as a spoiler. Um, I think like Ulster post nineteen ninety nine is fascinating because so many funny, like so much funny stuff happened, like Jolly Vetiagi coming, that was funny. Um, them dying the pitch orange, that was funny. Having to play at Queens because somebody had like weed killed the pitch, that was funny. And then just the series of hilarious things that happened while Ulster were just terrible after winning the European Cup I don't, I don't know how much of a market there is there for that like I would find it funny <laughs> but like what what would my pitch be going into the publishers being like okay we've done Ulster winning something but he, hear me out on this couldn't we all have fun if we did like the years when they were really bad I don't know. I don't know if enough people would buy that. This book. this yeah. is kind of the blooper reel during the credits. Yeah, is, yeah. yeah like <laughs> I, th- I, it would pr- it would probably be a better book, I think, but there's every chance that less people would read it. Mm. Um, the night the team John, John Stenson would read it. Well, that like that's one. So may- maybe we need to crowdfund this rather than <laughs> like go <laughs> yeah, to the publishers. Um, I wouldn't contribute, but I know. I'm sure like, some people would. You know, you still haven't read my first one. Yeah, um, I bought it. Well, that's what counts, actually. Yeah. yeah. Um, Couldn't care less if you read it. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's irrelevant to me, really. That's not true. I'm actually, I pretty much solely survive off ego, so it's more people <laughs> telling me that it's good. I, uh, how are the book sales going at this stage? I haven't heard about it in a while. I haven't talked about it in a while. It's probably my fault. I'm sorry. Should plug it more. Um, no, they're going well. Um, there'll be some news on that front in a week or two once an embargo gets lifted on something that'll okay. hopefully. Uh, Give it a wee boost, and then, yeah. Is that another Good. bombshell? Yeah, it's well, like a we'll talk a, a we'll bombshell. T- talk about it maybe next week on the podcast. Hopefully, if you'll let me. Yeah, well, absolutely. Um, well, I'm not here, so you can do it. Yeah, it'll, it'll actually just be solely about that because. <laughs> um, yeah, I wonder. What, yeah, that that could be book number two. Hmm, good. Um, or you could go back do one on the theme of the eighties. Yeah. But yeah. Um, hmm. Depends. Depends whether people want to read these books, you know. Yeah. Mark Dempsey asks, rugby goal light technology, uh, the future or a fad? Somebody explain what this is about because I, I know loosely but not the, the details. So at Judgment Day at the Millennium Stadium at the weekend where all four Welsh teams played in, in the day, um, for, for kicks at goal, if they went over the... Posts started flashing green. Uh, if they missed, did they flash red? Or flash red if they missed, which is apparently one of the issues for red for red green colorblind people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it makes no difference whatsoever. So you have, oh, yeah, so you have like a small handful of fans just jumping up and down cheering. Everyone else is like, "What the?" So heck? they could just. I, d- I do like it as a principle, though. I think it's fun. For what? For just because it's fun, yeah. Yeah. See. I wonder if in the future we have goal line technology for the posts. Do you know what I mean? 
Well, they already have it in the GAA. So it's to, yeah. What, what's, determine... what's it called in the GAA? It's called uh, something Hawkeye, funny, isn't it? I think I think it's called. I thought Hawkeye was tennis. I think it's also yeah, called cricket, Hawkeye in yeah. GAA. What's the, yeah, what's the cricket one called? Snicker or something. But somebody will know. It, it all uses good things like the it, the sound for it. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's called Snickle, but you said that. Yeah. Just in case it's wrong. No, it is. Yeah, it is. is it? Yeah. Like, if yeah. we had had this in rugby, then, like, Ireland would have beat the All Blacks. Yeah, the Snickle Ireland would have beat the All Blacks in the 70s. Um, 72, yeah. Did we like it or not? I, I think it's. I, look, it's, it's, one of those, it's one of those things where you're just trying to be a bit more innovative. And for me, you know. It's, as long as the lights aren't too bright you're blinding the opposition or anything but it's it's just one of those things where you know if it goes over post go green if it, if it doesn't post go red it's, it's not harming anybody you may as well try it although thing is the the touch judges raise their flags if it goes over or not anyway well, this so, is interesting yeah. right in regards to the game on Saturday where Ulster had the try disallowed not disallowed not awarded and Joey Neville ran back to the touchline rather than running under the posts for where the conversion would have been taken. So people cheered thinking a try had been awarded, even though it hadn't been. Mm-hmm. And if you had to watch Joey Neville, then you would have known a try wasn't been yeah. awarded. But if something had have went red mm-hmm. rather than going green, maybe that would have been clearer to people. Um, maybe. Well, well, apparently, anyway, it's obviously easier to see like at Ravenhill does it really matter probably not but if you're in I don't know the 80,000th seat in the Millennium Stadium at the back does it help see rather than looking for a touch judges flags drop goals as well would obviously help because Mm. you follow the ball with the drop goal rather than looking at the ref and sometimes you're then going off how players react yeah. Mm-hmm. So I get for for the try at the weekend. It didn't help that George Clancy restarted the game by putting his hand in the air to indicate time was back on, instead of first saying the try was not awarded. So it looked like he was putting his arm in the air to award the try. Yeah. We don't like to be critical of referees on this show because I mean this is a very small thing to criticize because, a referee about because it's a very difficult job, insanely difficult in many ways, but. Fancy. <laughs> let's let's not let's not judge everything off that. <laughs> frankly, I just want to throw in at this stage something that I noticed on the Ulster Rugby Supporters Facebook page that it was it's a GoFundMe for set up by uh, an Ulster fan, big Ulster fan. Uh, his name is Richard Russell. His wife Linda is fundraising for cancer treatment that she needs. She needs to raise forty five thousand pounds. They put it out on the Ulster supporters page, um, to try and get people to contribute. Obviously, so I just thought, as an Ulster rugby supporting family, that we could help out. So if anybody would, all any of our listeners would like to help out with that, it would be greatly appreciated. I know that. So, um, you can go to gofundme.com uh, and search for Linda Russell I believe you'll be able to find it off that and if you can't go on to my Twitter I tweeted about it so at GarethHanna11 um, yeah you'll be able to find it there so I know that would be greatly appreciated but yeah and we'll throw some money in as well I'm sure let's move on to the clubs then good weekend for really old boys and not so good for the other Ulster teams in the playoff yeah 
Ulster will have just the one club in Division 1A next season. That's after Malone's hopes of joining Balnehenge in the top tier were ended by UCC in their playoff semi-final. The students winning 27-11 at the Mardike. Queens were also beaten at the weekend as their hopes of moving up to 1B came to an end at Navan, who won their playoff final 34-19 to earn their third straight promotion. But there was good news for one Ulster club as rainy old boys went one further than last year by winning their playoff final over Blackrock College 33-21 and will take their place in Division 2A next season and in the Women's All-Ireland League last weekend Malone fell agonisingly short in their aim to join the division losing 24-20 in their playoff final against Setonians at Energia Park Disappointing for Malone but like not surprising really it was a tough ask Yeah well you know like Ross Kane and McBurney obviously playing for Ulster and um so you lose a couple of players there where they maybe wouldn't have lost if it was a full-strength Ulster team. and These things happen, but like I think um, there'll still be a good feeling around the club after what they've done the last two years, really. And obviously with Chris coming in as the head coach, the then the academy sort of divvy up of players will be happening um, over the next couple of weeks. I've got a few fresh faces in there, no doubt. So... Yeah, it's all still looking up for them. Yeah. The, pr- the problem was that Malone have come from a division where everyone was so similar. Mm-hmm. They then came up against a side who were very clearly a step above in UCC. And that probably really hurt them because while Malone are a very good side, all of a sudden you're coming up against a level of opposition that you haven't faced before this season. And 1A is a huge step up from 1B. Um, so I think it was just one of those ones where they were toe-to-toe with them in the first half. But then it was just, you know, that extra that extra little bit that UCC had that got them over the line uh, in the second half. And like the growth of the women's club at Malone as well has obviously mm. been massive over the last... Um couple of years I'm sure they'll keep uh, banging on the door for the all Ireland League yeah well. real shame they didn't get up but uh, yeah they'll 100% be back next year for another crack at it because as you say the growth of the game there has been incredible and great for really getting another club up into Division 2 yet yeah absolutely yeah they've had like they've had an under the radar season but a really good season yeah. um, probably haven't been talked about a lot we probably haven't even talked about yeah. them enough but um, yeah Big achievement. If they hadn't had such a slow start to the season, they could have been right up at the top there, pushing for automatic promotion. See, um, I get accused of being negative, and he's like, yeah, they got promoted, but they could have got promoted more. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think that's probably why they've had such an under-the-radar season, as you, yeah, yeah, no, as you said. You know, if, if they had started the way they finished the season, then... You know, we would have been talking about them a lot more as a side who wouldn't have needed the playoffs to go up. But it's great that they actually got over the line because obviously they had the heartbreak of losing at home last year in the playoff final. Um, whenever they thought they they were going to get up to two uh, A, so it's fantastic that they've done yeah. it again this year. Whenever they could have fallen at the hurdle again, that would have been a huge uh, disappointment. So it's it's fantastic that they're. Uh, going up and there's going to be some great derbies in 2A next year because you've obviously got Queen's still in there you've got Balamina coming down from 1B you've got Rainey coming up 
Bellamina Rainey is going to be a great wee local derby that we haven't had for a while. No, that's that's what I love, obviously. Um, it, always, it always happens when a team gets promoted and a team gets relegated in the same season yeah. where all of a sudden you're like, yeah, they're in the same, same league now. <laughs> but it's, it's always a bit strange. Yeah. That's no disrespect to Rainey at all. No. So that's pretty much us for this week then. Uh, we will be back next week to look back at a quarterfinal. Um, Hopefully an Ulster win. Confident of an Ulster win. If yeah. not, Adam will have had his flights more refunded by the time you hear from <laughs> next week. But for now. When will you be back on the podcast? Uh, a few weeks away. So, theor- theoretically. Season review, most likely. Yeah, theor- Theoretically, if Ulster... Final do, preview. If, if Ulster do lose, not only is Adam getting his um, hotel refunded, but also our season review would be... Without our host, Without which me, just yeah. wouldn't make any sense. No, but that would be the case. So pressure's we, on us. We would be calling you back from your holiday. No, absolutely so. not. No, wouldn't happen. Just Gareth out the Niagara Falls. Talking about a game that he hasn't seen. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's no different to any other week. <laughs> How dare you? He wouldn't, dare you. He wouldn't have seen the highlights. I'm the plug right now. How dare you both? From Jonathan Bradley, Adam Henry, and Gareth Anna. Goodbye. You don't get to say goodbye. You've disgraced their call the highlights. Bye, guys. Goodbye. <laughs>